Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Let me encourage you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. We are continuing our study through the book of Daniel. We are in the last section of Daniel dealing with prophecy and end times events. And over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at various visions that Daniel has had regarding near and future events. We talked about last week how prophecy has a near and far application. And uh, last week we saw where Daniel's vision prophesied of an individual who would come and destroy the city of Jerusalem and desecrate the temple, and that was fulfilled by Antiochus Epiphanes. But we also see that his role in the destruction of Jerusalem foretold a future leader by the name of the Antichrist. We see this individual described by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 and Mark chapter 13, the um, end times chapters in the Gospels, as well as the book of Revelation dealing with this individual who would come and persecute uh, Christians, um, desecrate the temple, the abomination that causes desolation, which is referenced in Daniel chapter 9, is spoken of and verified by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. And so uh, we're following along with these various prophecies that are dealing with near events, but also future events. And we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 9, which for prophecy gurus, if you will, is a very important uh, chapter dealing with prophecy because we're introduced to this 70 weeks vision of Daniel. And we'll get to that in a moment, but we are basically looking at God's prophetic timeline. In fact, he has a stopwatch, I guess, up in heaven, and there's a certain event that is described to Daniel in this chapter that God pushes the stopwatch, and he starts the time clock. And that time clock continues on for a period of time through the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, as well as into future events dealing with the Great Tribulation after the church is raptured, taken up off planet Earth. There's a period of time that Jesus describes that has never happened on planet Earth where the judgment of God is poured out. And this individual by the name of the Antichrist rises to power. And we see this unfolding in this prophecy of 70 weeks. Now, I will say, just as a main point of this chapter, is that God's prophetic itinerary described in the 70 weeks is a futuristic certainty. And we see many of those things being fulfilled. In fact, two of the three sections of Daniel's 70 weeks vision in chapter 9 have been fulfilled, but we are projecting the final last seven years of these 70-week prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled. And so if the first two sections, main sections of the 70 weeks prophecy has been fulfilled, we know that there's a futuristic certainty of what God will fulfill um, during the Great Tribulation period. 
And so we're going to see this in, in three simple ways. I say simple because it's really not quite simple. Uh, it's quite complex. So what I hope for us to grasp, and let me just say up front, to put on your math thinking cap right now. There's a couple of math problems that we need to work out. I'll, I'll help you with it. I'm not the greatest on math, but it's quite simple when you just look at um, the text. What I hope to accomplish today is that having studied together this chapter, that you will be able to articulate and at least understand the three main tenets and the timeline that God provides Daniel in the 70 weeks vision. Now, there have been so much writing and recording and even um, just perhaps speculation in predictions of some of these specific dates, um, as well as the coming of Jesus, um, and so many things that deal with this prophecy that I, I think it's for the, the, the Bible student and scholar, um, as well as the prophecy enthusiast, there is some very rich and meaningful application and understanding to the 70 weeks vision. But we do want to stop short of making certain predictions because as the Old Testament says, if you prophesy certain things and they don't come true, oh, be careful. It says that we can stone you. No, we won't do that. But um, you got to be uh, accurate and complete in all those uh, uh, prophecies and predictions. And Jesus says very clearly that no one knows the time or the hour of Jesus' second coming. So be watchful and be ready and pray. But it is very fascinating when you look at the timeline and you see the things that have um, occurred, some would suggest even to the day of how they have happened. So the very simple outline here, one is we're going to see Daniel's prayer. Second, we're going to see Gabriel's proclamation of the understanding and of the answer to prayer. And then thirdly, we're going to see God's plan. And that deals with the 70 weeks vision. Now what's interesting about this chapter is that four verses in this chapter out of I think 27 verses, four verses are dealing with the 70 weeks vision. The 23 verses prior are this great prayer of of Daniel. We know according to what we've already studied in Daniel is that Daniel was a man of prayer. He devoted himself to seeking God in prayer time and again when he experiences some of those persecutions being thrown in the lion's den, the defiling himself with the king's provision, all these sort of things. And Daniel's going to take what he reads in Scripture and go back to the Lord in prayer. And so there's quite a bit to get to. Let's jump into our study. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So if we're following along, we know that this now is in reference to after the Babylonian Empire has fallen. The Medes and the Persians now have come in and conquered. So Belshazzar has died. The um, kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom has been uh, taken over by the Medes and the Persians and Darius being one of those kings. And so in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. So what does that tell us? Tell us a couple things. One is that Daniel was not only a man of prayer, but he was a man of the book. He was a man of his scriptures at that time, were the, uh, the Torah, the prophets, and the law. And so Daniel's reading Jeremiah. In fact, 
you can just uh, hold your finger there and turn with me to, um, well, if you want to, you can, or just write this uh, verse down. These are important verses in understanding what Daniel is reading, Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11. As he's reading this prophecy, he's recognizing and understanding that God, in the captivity of the Israelites in Babylon, had a purpose and a plan. And we know throughout the, whole, the course of Israel's history is that there was a cycle of disobedience and disobedience led to judgment and they were taken into captivity and they cried out to God in captivity and they were delivered. And so this speaks of this period of time, the 70 years, notice he reads, I understood when I was reading the scriptures that there was a period of 70 years that was determined by God for the captivity of the Israelites in Babylon. And in verse 11 of Jeremiah chapter 25, it says, And this whole land shall be desolate, and it will be an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. And then it will come to pass, when 70 years are completed, that I will punish the king of Babylon. He did that to uh, Nebuchadnezzar and, um, and the others who followed. But... Uh, he punished the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. And then you jump over to 29, Jeremiah 29, verse 10, which says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. So Daniel is one of these captives captives during the time in Babylon during this, quote, 70-year period. And most scholars believe the time of this writing and the recording of this, um, this reference to Daniel reading about the 70 years is, is about three to four years before the 70 years is to expire. So he's seeing and recognizing that the time for Israel's captivity in Babylon is coming to an end. So what does he do? He prays. He seeks God. He recognizes that God's about to do something new. He's about to fulfill his promise to the nation of Israel. And so he specifies this specific detail. In verse 3, then I set my face, because of this, I set my face forward to the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. That's pretty intense, right? Sackcloth and ashes has this idea of humility and brokenness. Fasting is denying the flesh so you can seek the Lord spiritually. And there's uh, this sense of, of urgency that he has, the prayers, the supplications, dealing with specific details and requests that he's bringing to God. And we know according to this prayer that it is in reference to three things, Daniel's prayer here in, in, in chapter 9. It's uh, dealing with um, God's city, God's sanctuary, and God's people. And so he's going he's gonna to outline that in the following verses. And I prayed to the Lord God and made confession. Everyone say confession. It's a big part of prayer. It's a big part of Daniel's prayer, confession. Acknowledging and recognizing sinfulness and disobedience. He's going to talk about that. Oh, Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. There's a recognition of God's awesomeness. And uh, it's very similar. Daniel's prayer is similar to uh, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples when they said, teach us to pray. And begin with our Father who art in heaven. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Uh, give us this day. Talking about um, our needs. But forgive us our sins and trespasses. So a part of this prayer deals with uh, adoration and worship of God. And appealing to his mercy and grace. But also 
um, confession in verse 5. We have sinned. Notice the plural pronouns there. He's recognizing not only his own personal sin, but the sin of the nation of Israel and have committed iniquity. And we have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing your precepts and your judgments. You remember in the law of Moses that God made a covenant with the children of Israel and said, if you follow my precepts and laws, there will be blessing and provision. But if you disobey and break my laws, there will be a curse. And there'll be judgment. And they're experiencing that curse and that judgment being taken captive into Babylon. But now uh, Daniel's praying for the mercy of God to fulfill that covenant promise that if they turn to the Lord, then he will forgive and he will acknowledge and he will heal their land. Second Chronicles chapter 7, we often use that in reference to praying for our country and uh, on national days of prayer. But if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and seek me, I will hear their prayers from heaven and turn and forgive their sins and heal their land. That's what God is doing. He's accomplishing this as he's praying. Wickedly, we have done so. Neither have we heeded your servant, the prophets. God sent many prophets and messengers filled with the Holy Spirit to bring the messages of repentance and turning back to him, of, um, of, uh, of judgment if, if the people did not turn. Who spoke in the name of the kings and the princes to our fathers and the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face. Now that's the result of sin, shame and guilt. You remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned. What did they do? They were so shameful over their sin. They hid themselves from God and they covered themselves with leaves. And so what Daniel is saying in this prayer is that it's not God's fault that we walked away from him. It's our fault. He's not shifting the blame to other people or even unto God. He's taking full responsibility for the, the wickedness and the sin and the rebellion that they have taken. It's, it's to our shame, but it's to your righteousness. As it is to this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all of Israel, those near and those far off in the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belong shame of face, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. Everyone say mercy. Now say forgiveness. This is great. The mercies of God, the Bible says, are new every morning. In fact, in the previous chapters, uh, Daniel told uh, King, um, one of the kings, I can't remember, but talked about how God holds your breath in his hand. That the breath that we are breathing in and out in our lungs is held by the hand of God. This is one act that um, he sustains us. His mercy sustains us. He's uh, merciful. In fact, Moses um, I, was it Moses? I can't remember. But uh, God uh, revealed himself to, um, to this individual. And he said, I want to know you. And he revealed his name. He says, I'm merciful and compassionate and gracious, forgiving even unto generations and generations. God is so full of compassion for you. And, I, and, and Daniel's recognizing that. He's appealing to God's mercy and uh, his forgiveness. Though we have rebelled against him, we don't deserve your forgiveness, but in your nature, you are loving and merciful and forgiving. And we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God, verse 10, to walk in his laws, which he set before us in servants and prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse of the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. 
And he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our judges who judges us by bringing upon us great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done, which has been done to Jerusalem, taken captive, destroyed completely. The city, the temple, destroyed. And as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquity. So not only is this prayer including confession, but it's also including repentance. Confession is acknowledging and recognizing our sinfulness before God. But repentance is a change of mind, it's a turning, it's, a, it's a going in God's direction, turning from one direction and going towards the Lord. And that's just in keeping with this heart of brokenness before God because of the sin. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he does. Though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God. Here we're getting to the supplication. What is, so he's spent this time confessing and acknowledging their sin. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt. There's a reference to God's deliverance. He was constantly delivering, but powerful, miraculously. Delivering the people of God from um, being slaves in Egypt with the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. And just the powerful hand of God to sustaining them and Uh, the wilderness for 40 years. You did this before God, and you can do it again because you're merciful and you're compassionate. So not only could we say that in Daniel's case, but we could also say that in our case. The God who delivered his people can also be the one who delivers you and I as we seek him in prayer, as we confess our sin. From the mighty hand of the Egyptians, you made yourself a great name. As it is to this day, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary. So we have the city, now we have the sanctuary, the temple, which is a place of God's presence where people would come in contact with the holy God, which is desolate. It was completely destroyed and ruined. No worship, no sacrifices. We do know that there was a couple of decrees throughout this period of time through Cyrus and Artaxerxes who had given Cyrus, um, as well as, excuse me, Ezra, had given Ezra the permission to go back and rebuild the temple, which I think is important for this prophecy so that there could be a reinstitution of the sacrifices and of the temple worship. And, and so there is this heart for the temple, the place of God's presence. And in verse 18, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation in the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplication before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen. O Lord, act. Do not delay for your own sake. My God, for your city and for your people. Here's the last part of Daniel's prayer. For your people who are called by your name. Isn't this just such a great prayer? If um, you were stuck in your prayer life, just go back to this prayer and read through it. Let me just make mention of a couple of things and we'll move on through the text about Daniel's prayer. One is is that Daniel's prayer was informed by Scripture. 
And when you go and you read and you study the Bible and you're just kind of just even devotionally reading through it, that uh, you may understand some things and God will speak to you through the power of God's word because it is living and active. But when you, um, when you mix in the ingredient of prayer to the, the time that you spend in his word, then revelation and wisdom and discernment become your friend. And God begins to bring to life the pages of Scripture as he does in Daniel's case. So Daniel's prayer was informed by Scripture. Be sure to go to God's word as you seek him in prayer. But it was also a determination of urgency and of seriousness. There was fasting, there was sackcloth, there was ashes, there was humility and brokenness as um, he prioritized. We already know that Daniel prioritized three times a day. He would make it his custom and his tradition to pray to God who is in heaven three times a day, seeking him. And uh, we see that even on into the latter years of Daniel's life, fasting and prayer, taking seriously. It's pretty serious to, to fast. If you've never fasted, let me encourage you. Jesus encourages us to fast and to deny our flesh food so that we can seek God spiritually. In fact, at the beginning of the year, um, every year here at Quest, we have a corporate time of prayer and fasting, and we're planning that for the first or second week of January so that we can get together as a corporate body of Christ, so that we can pray and we can fast, and there's a power of God that's poured out upon his people as we deny the flesh and seek God and take seriously. It's pretty serious when you don't eat for a couple of days. Now, be sure to consult your doctor and make sure that that's okay for you to do, but when you don't eat for a couple of days, you become hangry, and you become, you all know what I mean by that, don't you? And uh, you become, uh, you don't have any more patience anymore, and uh, you're really quick with your tongue, and you know, these sort of things. But when you take seriously to deny the flesh, man, God takes seriously the answer of prayer. And I want to encourage all of us to be a part of that time of prayer and fasting, but you don't have to wait till then to fast. Um, maybe the week or even the day after Thanksgiving, you might want to start, start doing some of that. Now, Fasting, biblically, is not about losing weight. It, it's, about, it's about gaining spiritual weight, if you will, just to use the analogy, so to speak. Um, it's about seeking the Lord and uh, hearing from Him. But Daniel's prayer also included confession. And this confession was so very clear. He admitted God's righteousness and man's sinfulness. We have sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The penalty and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. So when we hold on to God's forgiveness made possible to us through the person of Jesus Christ on the cross, when we hold on to God's forgiveness, he lets go of all our sinfulness. That's a good thing, isn't it? He casts it as far as the east is from the west. He's no longer holding that against you and I because now we have the righteousness of Christ in us. It's not our own righteousness, as Daniel said. It's the righteousness of Christ. His forgiveness is extended to you and I. And this supplication includes, as I mentioned, three things. Prayer for the city, prayer for the sanctuary, prayer for the people. This is where we get down to the requests. Be specific. Notice, he was very sincere in his prayer. He was very specific in the details. and He was very thorough about not leaving anything off of the, of the table. And in our prayers, this is a great example for us. To go to the Lord. Don't leave anything off the table when it comes to coming to God and confession and forgiveness and repentance. Um, pleading and holding on to and appealing 
to the mercy and the forgiveness and the favor of God. And then God answers. Notice what happens in verse 20. Now while I was speaking in prayer and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of God. Yes, while I was still speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the previous vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. This is pretty remarkable because this is an immediate answer to prayer. While he is still speaking, I wish that God would answer some of my prayers while I was just still praying. There was one prayer in uh, the New Testament when Peter was um, put in prison and he was delivered and taken out of prison and he went to the house and there was a prayer meeting going on and they're praying, God, would you please deliver Peter from prison? And he's outside knocking on the door. And he's saying, I'm here, I'm here, let me in. The, the lady of the house came and said, no, sorry, this, is, this can't be. But then they opened it up, and they realized, wow, God answered prayer. Sometimes God will open the door immediately for you when you seek him in prayer. But as we all know, answers to prayer may take different forms. It could be a yes, it could be a no, it could even be a wait. Now, in the next chapter, we see that there's a delay from the angel coming to deliver the answer. And sometimes there may be a delay, but God's delays do not mean his denials. If there's a delay in the answer of God's prayer in your life, it means that you just seek Him, continue to wait upon Him. Let the wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. God will strengthen you as you wait upon Him. But there is this sense of suddenness and immediacy while He's still speaking. You know, Jesus even said in regard to this prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, He said that we have a heavenly Father who knows the things that we have need of even before we speak. So God knows even before we put to words those things that we have need of. Just if you're a parent with your child, you know that your child needs certain things. But uh, you also know that the 15th candy bar right before bed is a no answer, right? It's like, no, we can't have that. That's not good for you. There's other things as a a parent to your child, you know, you want to give. And you're always listening and you're always attentive and you're always available because you love your child. And uh, Jesus says, well, if, 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 um, you know, if, if you ask God for, for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. He's not going to bite you with a snake. He's going to give you every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. It's our Heavenly Father who knows the things that we have need of. So this is an encouragement to Daniel as he's, this angel is coming. Of course, it was a shock, but we see the appearance of this angel, but there's also the assurance And the assurance that the angel brings is that God has heard your prayer and he's going to answer your prayer. While I was still speaking, this angel came. And in verse 22, he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have come now forth to give you skill and understanding. And at the beginning of your supplication, the the command went out and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Everyone say beloved. Oh, this is such a term of endearment. This is a, an intimacy with, with God. This is a relationship. How do, you, how do you cultivate and foster an intimate relationship with God? You do what Daniel did throughout the first eight chapters of the book of Daniel. He spent time with God in prayer. He was a, a man or, or a woman of, of, um, of, of the word of God, seeking and understanding his will and his purpose, um, being uh, exercising courageous faith in their world as there's persecution and trial and hardship, but being strengthened by the Lord. That's how you cultivate a relationship, a close relationship with God. Beloved, 
The New Testament tells us that we are part of the beloved as saints in Christ, beloved and adopted into the family of God. Oh, how great the love of God is for us that we would be called the children of God. God extends that same mercy, that forgiveness, that sense of belovedness. And if God loves you so much, just like Daniel, he is going to do the same thing. Answer. That God heard and will answer Daniel's prayer. This is the assurance. The Bible says that God inclines his ears to our prayers. And as we seek him, the book of Revelation says that our prayers are put into these bowls. I don't know how it happens, but uh, these bowls must be pretty big. And these bowls are filled with the prayers of the saints. And those, those bowls go up to God. And they're, they're put to fire of some sort. And there's like an incense of the prayers of the saints. And it's sweet-smelling aroma to God that your and I prayers fill the throne room of heaven with the incense of our prayers to God. That's pretty powerful. That no prayer, whether how small or seemingly insignificant, no prayer or no detail falls off the radar of God's ability to see and understand what is going on in your life. Because you're beloved to Him. And His mercy is for you every morning. And He wants the best for you and to work out His plan and purpose in your life. might be hard. might be difficult. might be wait. might be no. might be um, uh, wait upon Him. But God will fulfill His purpose. And there's an acceptance. I'm beloved is a term of endearment. And God extends that same term of endearment to you and I. It's a great promise for us of His hope. Now, we come to the... The, the meat and potatoes, so to speak, of this vision, the 70 weeks. Now, da- uh, the angel is coming to Daniel and saying, I'm going to provide you clarity and understanding. We have four verses left, but we have four more hours of our sermon. No, just kidding. <laughs> Buckle up. He's like, I get a, I, I get a few thumbs up. I'm, I, he's like, I'm ready for that. Why not? Okay, so uh, verse 24. Here's the answer to the prayer. 70 weeks are determined for your people And for the holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation of iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So before we get into the three breakdowns of the 70-week prophecy, we're told an overview. And during this period of time, let's just understand a couple of things. We're going to do some math here, so uh, buckle up. First is, is that Weeks in the scriptures deal with a unit of seven. And when you look at the, um, the Hebrew uh, writings in the Old Testament, they deal more specifically with a period of seven years. And so a week in this prophecy is dealing with seven years. So if you do the math, we have seven years times 70. That gives us a period of time that is described for Daniel in the 70 weeks vision of 490 years. So there's some math. That's pretty simple, right? Got that figured out? 400, 490 years. You can jot these things down, um, which is the 70 weeks prophecy. So we are also told during this time, a couple of things are going to happen. That this prophecy is dealing, seven weeks prophecy is dealing with the nation of Israel. Let's be clear about that. God's people, God's city, and God's sanctuary. And during this time, there will be a finish to transgression, end of sins, a reconciliation of iniquity, right? The, the anointing of the Holy One. So basically, what is going to happen is that God is going to make wrongs right. And the greatest wrong is sin. 
And the sin of the children of Israel was their wickedness and their rebellion and their disobedience to God that we have already described in the cyclical process of uh, their relationship with God. So he's going to clear that up through the Messiah in the fulfillment of the anointing of the Most Holy. Because in the temple in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, the people of God, they sacrificed animals, but it was temporary. But in the New Testament, we're going to see the Messiah being sacrificed as the suffering servant to take away the sin of the world. And so there is only one way that you can reconcile iniquity and put an end to sin, and that is what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. He has fulfilled and completed the law in the Old Testament, completing it, not abolishing it, fulfilling it through his sacrifice on the cross, the suffering servant coming to die a sinner's death but live a sinless life to satisfy the wrath and the judgment of God against sin. He took upon himself the judgment that we deserved so that sin could be dealt with. Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. This is a summary of these three periods during the 70 weeks, 490 years. Now let's get into the specifics. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Let's pause there. We have two sections. The first is a designation of seven weeks. The second is a designation of 62 weeks. So if you're doing the math, seven weeks times seven is 49 years. The first section of the 70 weeks prophecy deals with this 49 years, which is beginning when this decree is given to rebuild the uh, Jerusalem, the city and its walls. The second, um, the second period of time is a 62-week period, which is 434 years. And so you put those two together, at the end of the coming of the Messiah would be 483 years, which leaves us one week, that is seven years remaining, for the third section of the 70-week uh, period of time. So let's talk about these two parts. Um, first is the 70 weeks in the rebuilding of the temple. And then we know that, excuse me, Jerusalem. We know that there was a decree given by a couple of kings, actually Cyrus and Artaxerxes for, for Ezra, to go back and rebuild the temple, which is very specific. Uh, the temple so that they could hold different uh, worship services in the temple. But there is a specific reference in Nehemiah chapter uh, 2, verse 1, that deals with um, Artaxerxes, King Artaxerxes, given Nehemiah the decree and the permission and the favor as well as the provisions to return back to Jerusalem and build the wall, the city, and the street. So most likely, the time clock of God's prophetic timetable here, the 490 years, is started in the decree of Nehemiah, returning back to Jerusalem to rebuild the, the wall and, um, and uh, the city. And what's interesting about that date is that we are actually given a very specific date. And if you drill down into those numbers, we're not going to do that here this morning, but if you drill down into those numbers and you put those years together from the time that Nehemiah was given permission to return to Jerusalem to the time that Jesus entered into Jerusalem as the Messiah would be 400 
and 83 years, which is pretty remarkable when you look at the detailed description. So we have this 49-year period of time, seven weeks, dealing with the start of rebuilding Jerusalem to the end of this period of time. But then we're also told about this 62 weeks. And this 62 weeks deals with a 434-year period of time from the rebuilding of Jerusalem to, notice, it says the Messiah. From, specifically in verse 26, it says the cutting off. Now that's in reference to the crucifixion. That's in reference to his death. But we do know that this period of time was very truncated during even just a one-week period. But there is perhaps, most scholars believe, and if you look at the details, only one event in Jesus' life and ministry that would fulfill this prophecy of the 70 weeks, and that is the triumphal entry of Jesus. It's one of those verses that we read during uh, the Easter time where before Jesus was... um, betrayed and died on the cross, he entered into Jerusalem. And what's interesting about that period of time is that is the only time that Jesus accepted praise and worship as the Messiah. You remember the other times when people tried to praise and worship worship Jesus? He said, hold it, for my time has not yet come. That's pretty interesting because there is a time where he does accept, and prior to entering into Jerusalem during the triumphal entry, he actually took very careful plans in fulfilling other prophecy of going in, riding on a colt of a donkey, and telling his disciples to go into the city and get this colt and ride up on this donkey and go into the city. So the triumphal entry speaks very clearly to the fulfillment of these first two main sections, 483 years from Jerusalem to the entrance Uh, of the Messiah coming in. So he takes careful plans. He's worshipped as the Messiah. But let me just read you one verse, which I think is very fascinating. For sake of time, you don't need to turn there. I'll read it for you. But it's in Luke chapter 19, verse 42. The same instance when Jesus is coming in, he looks over the city of Jerusalem as he draws near, and he weeps over the city. And in verse 42, it says, if you had known, even you, especially this your day. He makes a reference to the specific day of the coming of the Messiah into Jerusalem, 483 years after the prophecy of Daniel in the Old Testament, fulfilling this role as the Messiah, which would make for your peace, but now this day is hidden from you. What would make peace? What would restore Israel? What would forgive sin? It's the Prince of Peace, the one coming. This, your day. I think it's very fascinating when you see the events coming together in these 70 weeks prophecy. I hope you're with me still. Yes? Say yes. Say amen. Good. We've got three main sections of Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy, dealing with 490 years. The first is 49 years of the rebuilding of the temple. The second is 434 years until the Messiah coming. And the last is dealing with uh, a one-year period of time, excuse me, a seven-year period of time. The last reference in this vision, a seven-year period of time during the Great Tribulation. And we'll just read here the final verses. The Messiah shall, notice in verse 26, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Well, who was it for? It was for you and me, right? Sacrificed on the cross. And the people of the prince who is to come. Now, prince who is to come is a direct reference to the Antichrist. We've already studied that in previous chapters. 
And we know that the Antichrist is going to come from a reconstituted Roman government power of sorts. I don't know how that's all going to take place. But we do know that he's coming from this type of Roman governmental power. And so, this prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus actually prophesies about the destruction of the temple when he's coming into the city, not too many years after his, um, his resurrection and ascension. 70 AD, the Roman government came in and completely leveled the temple. And so this is yet again a, a, another example of the near and far fulfillment of biblical prophecy. It's being fulfilled in the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, but it's also pointing us to a future event where the Antichrist will do the same exact thing, desecrate the temple. Notice, and the end shall be with a flood. That's not with water. That's just a flood. It's consuming and overwhelming. Till the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant, that is the Antichrist, with many for one week, that is seven years, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. There appears to be, as is referenced in the book of Revelation, a time in which, remember, this prophecy is dealing with the nation of Israel, where there is some peace accord, some covenant, some agreement that is made between the Antichrist during the Great Tribulation period as a way to bring some type of peace. But that is uh, nullified halfway through. If that's half, three and a half. Years into this remaining seven-year period, the end of sacrifices, he'll bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So Jesus makes specific reference to this during the Great Tribulation, the abomination that causes desolation, which will be a desecration once again of a reinstituted temple of Israel. So, we have these three sections. And what's interesting about the first two is that there is a prophetic pause. You notice that? There's a prophetic pause from the Messiah dying on the cross to the great tribulation period. The first two sections have been accomplished. The last has not yet been accomplished. So what happens during this prophetic pause? Well, if this 70 weeks prophecy deals with the nation of Israel, we have during the prophetic pause the birth of the church. And during the birth of the church, not to replace Israel, because God's covenant with Israel will stand and he will accomplish all that he's uh, covenanted with Israel. But during this prophetic pause, we see the church birth in the book of Acts. We see the New Testament. We see the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that says, through your seed, all nations will be blessed. Here is the gospel to the Gentiles. And I do not know, I wish I could tell you, but no one knows. And if they tell you, they do know. When this prophetic pause is going to start back up again, walk away from them, <laughs> don't give them any money, um, and pick up a couple of stones. Just get ready. <laughs> We're, no, you don't want to do that. But um, no one knows when that clock of that last seven years is going to be uh, clocked because uh, it is actually after the, the rapture of the church. But what does that tell us? It tells us a couple things. It tells us that during this prophetic pause, God's mercy and God's long-suffering is being extended not only to Israel, but also to Gentiles. 
And through his bride, the body of Christ, you and I have the opportunity, because it's God's will that none should perish, but that all come to saving faith, that we should be busy about the mission of God in making disciples and bringing them to Jesus, right? That's the prophetic part. That's the time in So, and Jesus says to be ready to be watchful and pray. So, let's pray. And let's close. And worship team, I apologize. You can just pray and close with us. <laughs> right where you're at. Because there's a lot to pray about and be ready for. And I'm just long-winded or this text is really, actually I'm probably not long-winded in this case. I can be, but in this case, there's so much detail there. So now you're all Bible scholars. You got it all figured out. 490 years, three main sections. Two have been accomplished. One is yet to come. We live in the, med- in, in the middle to be about God's mission and purpose. Amen? Ooh, that was pretty, that's pretty good right there. That's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. And we thank you that you bring clarity and wisdom and discernment. We thank you that you see the beginning from the end. Thank you for this prayer in Daniel that gives us a model of confession and of urgency and of brokenness and of seriousness and of taking those concerns to you because you hear and you love. Thank you for the promise that we are beloved and that we're not left alone, that you walk with us and that you hear and that you respond, you answer. And thank you for this complex but beautiful fulfillment of your prophetic timeline. And we wait eagerly, anticipating your return. In the blink of an eye, the last trumpet, to be caught up in the clouds with Jesus, ever to be with him. We wait for the, for the coming of Christ. But as we wait, we're, we want to be about Christ's mission and purpose. And we pray for people, many people, lost, broken, hurting, come to faith in Jesus Christ. May we share your gospel and be about your purpose. God, we love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.